You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Belong here. Understand that. You belong here. That's the biggest thing we have to understand here is that we belong here. And we take off from there. Pucking around. around. Welcome back to Pucking Around here on Sports Radio Detroit. I'm Jason Pinkham, and I'm here today with the franchise, Steve Height. And we're here today to discuss the last two weeks of NHL, but to sort of address a theme, and we'll get into that later on. But, Steve, how's your last two weeks been, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Just full swing in the NHL. Some important things to talk about today. We had some history last night. That's going to be our last topic. Nice preview. Uh, we're going to have... we. we it's been a nice week for like actually getting to see games. I got to uh, spend a couple of hours with a couple of games on Friday night. I got to see Philly stop a mud hole in New York. Uh, and I forget what the second game was because I was kind of drowsy from just all the festivities of being with family and stuff before we all got on and started gaming for a little bit. But that was that was an okay game too. I'm blanking on who it was now because as you can hear by the tone of my voice, I am sick and I am lacking in sleep. I'm sure you probably know the game off the top of your head, but I can't remember what it was. But anyways... The theme of today's episode has to do with four separate stories or three separate stories that I found just in my research for this episode that kind of come together to form uh, almost sort of a new school philosophy in regards to the NHL and something that I think Steve and myself both want to address from as many possible angles as we can, because there's a couple things we were talking about in the pre-show that... Uh, you know, came to light in just in discussing just the topics without even really getting into the, you know, me, the meat of the story. Uh, but we'll start with a story on ESPN. Why, why many coaches got, have gotten fired basically. Uh, and the question was also asked on the Washington times, which shows you that this is getting out of the sport of NHL asking, you know, basically the headline is NHL GMs trigger happy and firing coaches, uh, which is a recurring problem. We'll get into it. Uh, the next topic which is probably, to me, the biggest meat of this episode, is a Sportsnet article called NHL's Age, Heartlessness Soon Test Dowdy Kings. Is just the name of the headline. But basically the question is, the NHL's age of heartlessness could soon test Drew Dowdy and the LA Kings. And we'll get into that. There's a lot to it. Uh, and then the la- second to last topic would be uh, basically me kind of calling myself out uh, for something I've been saying uh, just in casual conversation with non-hockey fans or people who have been, you know, watching the standings and, you know, been made aware that the Penguins have kind of been faltering. And I've been saying, don't worry about the Penguins to anyone, anyone who asks. But, I mean, based on the numbers, we should probably be worrying about the Penguins. Uh, and then we'll wrap the show up talking about a historical night last night that uh, my partner got to see. I did not. Uh, but let's start by talking about, and this to me is probably the biggest story of the year besides again, like I said, the biggest story of the episode is the Giudotti thing, is how many coaches have been fired this year? There were no coaches fired during the 2017-18 season, okay? And, you know, Steve pointed out in the pre-show that one who got fired this year probably should have been fired last year, and I agree with him 100%. We're a fourth of the way into this season, and there have been four. Two of them were in 48 hours. Like, what? 
I don't want to just say why because that's too simple and too dumb. But the thing is, is like to me, one of the things for me when it comes to coaches is like this is a big circle cycle. This is like a big like it's like the plumbing in your house. It all goes in a big circle and then eventually it all goes out. But like Ken Hitchcock gets hired every year somewhere for a year. And I don't know why. Like he hasn't won a cup in many years. He hasn't been really, he hasn't done much. He seems to just be a stopgap. And yet he gets a new job every year. These guys just keep getting jobs. Nobody's really pushed out of the system. So why is it that they're like, well, we're 20 games in, screw it, we're done. Like what's the best thing that you can, you can pull from this with so many coaches being fired this quick? I think teams are starting to realize that as a whole, it's more of a business ideal approach to things. And that sometimes in a lot of these situations, maybe they let loyalty sit too long. I think one of the best cases locally that we can look at was Mike Babcock being here as long as he was. He probably could have been axed a few years beforehand and it would have benefited the organization. Maybe they wouldn't be in this particular slump-ish sort of downturn that they've had if maybe they turn around some coaching styles first. I mean, yeah, roster, et cetera, whatever. But, I mean, yeah, I think in a lot of situations, I've said this before, it's really easy to fire a coach. It's not easy to fire a GM, and it's not easy to trade half of your team. That's just not realistic. So a stopgap approach to maybe turning around your team or, as my favorite hockey quote is, giving new life to a team would be, changing the philosophy of the play style of the team, which is the coach. So a lot of terms, it's pretty easy to do because those guys aren't, you know, tied down to roster spots. You can just eliminate them with no casualties. It's the turnovers instant. So, and I think in the NHL too, you don't see this. I mean, you see it in other leagues, but I feel like there's so many coaches that are assistant coaches that are, if not better than the head coach of the team they're under. So, that transition can be almost seamless because you're not even getting a new guy. It's a guy you recognize. So it's easy stopgap. I think with the Edmonton team, that was not the name I expected to be hired. I for sure thought they would go after Joe Quenwell, which I thought would have been a marvelous place for him to be because you see his track record for Chicago and what he did with a young team with a lot of young draft picks. And Edmonton is still majorly a young team with a lot of young, raw talent. I mean, Connor McDavid, for instance. I think that would have been a great fit for him. But in the case, too, they're going with another veteran coach who has a shit ton of experience, albeit not a lot of lucrative, far playoff run experience, but it's experience nonetheless. And when you're talking about a team that hasn't been out of the second round of the playoffs in 20-something years, I mean, I guess that marginal experience is okay but who knows what they're going to do next year or if it's a permanent thing it could be a stopgap like we don't know but i i think in the nhl today like like i said like just firing a coach is just the easy route it's the it saves the gm's job more often than not you just fucking nailed it right there the easy route i think that's the biggest thing is like the this article goes to point out the longest tenured coach right now is in tampa who he got hired in 2013 so the longest tenured coach in the NHL is five years. That's that's to me. Okay, here's the thing. I mean, until the Joe Quenville got fired, he was like eleven. Right. I yeah. think. Yeah. Like. Yeah. But like, here's the thing. You glossed over it. You said yeah, roster makeup and everything. But I think to me, I don't know why it is in the NHL that they are afraid to fire GMs. But in almost every one of these firings, it is 
at least 60% the GM's fault. You know, we discussed in the pre-show, Edmonton cannot build a fucking roster to save their life. It is not coaching that has failed Edmonton. It is not, uh, you know, some scheme that's going to get them to the playoffs. They have the best fucking player in the goddamn world, and they can't do shit with it because they don't have anyone else on that team because they don't draft well. They draft guys who... Everybody thinks is good. They seem to miss a lot. That one I can't really answer. But they can't build a roster. That's for sure. They haven't had a defenseman worth a dick in my lifetime. Like they just don't. They don't build good rosters. And then Chicago has basically done what Detroit did in the mid two thousands. Like, well, fuck it. We won the cup with these guys, so we'll just stay here and we'll just pay them all the money in the world and give them all no move clauses and wonder why we suddenly can't win. Like, it it. it in almost every case of these firings, it is obviously not the coach's fault. And that's why I don't understand why it is that coaches are the first one to go, other than other than I do understand it's just easy. It's just job security for the GM, because they can be like, well, it was scheming. It was the problem. Yeah, because like I think when you think of an organization, the trickle-down effect of when you fire a GM, generally everybody underneath that is also gone in those situations. Like, look at the NFL. A GM's gone, the new GM comes in and wipes the whole coaching staff. That's just kind of how that works, right? In most situations. I mean, very few situations you might keep a piece or two. But in those situations, you're firing the whole staff. And and you can't kind of do that midseason. That's kind of hard. I mean, just, just figuratively speaking and like running the day-to-day operations of things, that is a very hard thing to do. And so I understand those kind of pieces. But I think... I don't see a problem with firing a coach if you don't think the coach is doing a good job. But I think maybe that's partially our lack of maybe fundamental understanding of the day-to-day operations of an NHL hockey team because we don't have that experience to where maybe certain things we just don't, we're not conceptually going to understand because we're not in that role. So automatically we think of, yeah, I guess fire the coach, whatever. But in the same situation, I can see a lot of situations in Edmonton where, yeah, the coach I think was the problem there. I don't think... They, I just don't think that team was listening to him. To be honest, I've seen interviews where they talk about things. It's almost the same thing with with Ottawa. Like Ottawa thinks their team is a joke. It is what it is. Okay, I gotta I gotta interrupt for one second. Here's the thing: I am not giving the scapegoat to all these teams. It is not. <clears throat> it is not St. Louis's fault. Uh, that's not the, the GM in St. Louis's fault. He's built what I think is a fairly good roster, and I don't. I, I kind of. 50-50 agree with on Edmonton. Edmonton, I'm sort of in the middle because, like, there is talent there and they could do stuff with it. But the problem, the reason I put Edmonton in the management category is because they hired Ken fucking Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock is not the solution for what's wrong in Edmonton. How do you know the ownership didn't hire him? Whoever the hired him. The, the ownership and the gym are not on the same level because ownership is what it is. You're never going to, you're generally not going to change that unless some outside circumstance, generally real life happens. Like, for instance, the Detroit Red Wings. Like, unless one of the Illiches, just the whole family of Illiches dies or they sell it, they're going to own it. So you can't get rid of ownership. That is not a tier that I think exists in this argument. Hmm. Like, it's got to be the fundamental runnings of the organization, which is management, general manager, and down. Okay. But then the other other teams on this list, L.A. and Chicago, because I'm giving the pass to St. Louis because I think that actually is coaching because I've never been a big Yo fan. I mean, we've said this before when he was in Minnesota. I've never been a big Yo fan. Like, no. he just doesn't get it done. Like, minutes he leaves Minnesota, they become a contender right away. Obviously, they're not going to go very far because of who their coach is. But that, regardless, they became a contender. And then he goes to St. Louis in shock of all shocks. He's not that fucking good. 
Fit, 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 fit. Agreed. But L.A. and Chicago, if you know anything about hockey, and I say this confidently knowing that you're probably going to agree with me, if you know anything about hockey, that is not the fucking coach's problem. L.A.'s average age on their roster is like 74 years old. And Chicago's average, you know, annual salary is $6.4 million with a no-move clause times seven. Like, that's not the coach's fault. I don't think Chicago is in a problem state right now. Firing the coach in Chicago was a good idea because, like... Like I said earlier, it's the syndrome of being there too long. People are too comfortable. You got to change it up a bit. Like that situation works for me too, because like if you look, I would have Chicago's roster over most of the rosters in the NHL right now. Not, not kidding. Cause of the talent they have on the roster one. Yeah. They're getting a little bit older, but I mean, Patrick Kane just turned 30. Mm-hmm. Like he's not, they're not 37. Like, like LA where most of those guys are really old, like Jeff Carter and. Etc. Like those guys are getting up there. They're in the end of their NHL. Career. Oh, and they're good free agent signing of Kovalchuk. And, and and Drew Doughty is in his prime right now, and he probably wishes he took that offer to go to Toronto and play. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing he is right about now. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to the Doughty topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like the Chicago one for me is kind of uh, I don't know because like that roster I still think is very good. They could turn around and be literally a contender if they just. Got goaltending, literally, or like one or two defensemen, and they would be fine. Like they would that easily was, re- be right back into it. That was the other game I saw, the Chicago game on Friday. I saw fucking Crawford let in four goals in the first. That's what I saw. And I still think he's still minorly dealing with concussion symptoms. So just kind of like, I guess, I guess you're just gonna throw him back out there if if he's okay. Like, yeah, like the Chicago one for me is is iffy because. It's and I'm taking like all my partisan out of that mm-hmm. and just being like that roster I think is still really good. It's still majority. You have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith. Like that is a core that I would still take over ninety percent of the NHL. There's very few cores that I would take over that right now. Still, let me pull up their roster while you're still going. Um, that Bindercat, their new prospect has been okay. I mean, like goaltending. I I've never been a huge fan of Crawford, but he's won. And he's he's been a steady goaltender. He is like the new generation Chris Lasket. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> that's a really good comparison. That's actually a really great comparison. Um, <laughs> man, that's actually really fucking good because I wouldn't say like Ozzy. I would never have said was like a top ten goalie. Yeah, when you put when you put Chris Osgood against like the likes of like Broder, Patrick Wah, Dominic Hash, like all the goalies we talked about last episode, you're just like not even no. close. But then you look at his numbers and his winnings and his trophies, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I kind of got to yeah. put him there. And then you remember Nick Lidstrom exists. Uh, right. Okay. Let me just go down the Chicago list. Okay. Anisimov, fine. Debrinkat, fine. Not great, but fine. Fortin, I have no idea on. Hayden, I have no idea on. Cahoon, Kampf, no clue on any of those guys. Not even a little bit. Kane is obviously Kane. Kruger, uh, I'm not going to say he's good. I'll say he's okay. Is that fair? Kunitz sucks. Kunitz sucks. Uh, Martinson, I don't know anything. Saad, Saad to me is like, maybe maybe that's why I have a tough time getting over this not being a coach issue because Saad to me is endemic of them not being able, like Saad to me is indicative of them not being able to manage their teams because like they were so worried about uh, uh, Panarin maybe leaving in two years that they made a move for a guy who, you know, yeah, cost certainty. Everybody thought it was a good move. I'm putting air quotes up. But Brandon Zod's not that. Not He's not Artemi Panarin. 
And if you gave me the choice of no Panarin, it's not even Panarin, no. But if no. you gave me the choice of two more years of Panarin, two years ago or two years of Sod, I would have taken Panarin any day. And then you make the then you make the yeah, move but this then year. You're taking Panarin, yeah. But then you're getting Panarin of the last two years, which has been so. I thought subpar. he was like seventy six points a year. No, like last year he wasn't that great. <laughs> He's playing in Columbus. Just be let's be honest. He's playing the in Columbus. Team like, that is who's the center? Nick Foligno, like. Yeah. A team that is significantly better than Chicago right now. Uh, Schmaltz. Points-wise. Schmaltz, I know nothing about. Taze Taze this year is showing up. That's fair. Oh, that defensive core, though. I mean, yeah, you got got Keith and Seabrook. Yeah, that's the problem. They got nothing there. They got got nothing nothing there, man. That's sad. And then Cam Ward is your backup. And they're both born in 84. Oh, that's rough. Man, see, okay, this is the thing. So now... Now I'm at a crossroads with opinion on this one because it's like we're both sides are right. Honestly, it should have been a fire sale. I don't think no, there is. I don't, no I don't think wrong so either. I agree with it's you. Just I don't debate, think there's even you know? like what. Actually, that's kind of what I'm trying to say. I don't even think there's a debate because both sides would be like, "Well, I think it's the coaching. Well, I think it's the GM. You're both right." <laughs> yeah, it's always yeah. a mixed philosophy. As opposed yeah. to like LA, where it's like, "Well, I think it's the coaching. You're wrong." <laughs> like I think it's the coaching. Nope. That's just flat, flatly fucking wrong because it's not. They, they, their, their solution to we're getting older and we're getting slower was I mean, to go sign Ilya fucking Kovalchuk. <laughs> like, like the yeah. end of our, end of debate. <laughs> well, they missed out on uh, Patcheretti. He makes the trade, or else yeah. that would have been their deal. But what, do you think that would have solved anything there? So I mean, that's their backup. I mean, I respect it, but that's no. not the move I would. Do you think he would have solved anything really? <laughs> Oh, that's like trying to go get Pav with that suit <laughs> for the grave. I mean, no, maybe like, do you think Pacioretty would have fixed right. the Kings? No, but it would I have been there. better. I agree there. I'll agree Chuck. with you 100%, but I think that even adding Pacioretty to that roster doesn't fix the problem that their GM created. And that's 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 that to me is the problem with all of this. And that's I mean, we'll get into that with Age of Heartlessness, but like the NHL is so desperate to like put out a good product that like we have upwards of 12 teams that are just non-competitive like they're just they just don't really matter la you watch an la game you know you're watching garbage you watching go ahead i think i think that's a little extreme because every team in the nhl is competitive on a nightly basis that is the foundation of the sport any team can win at any time that has been proven over and over again basically especially to us yearly when the Detroit Red Wings go into a place like Phoenix and get washed for nothing when they're the first team in the Western Conference at the time. Like that, that opinion I think is really terrible, just being honest, because if you're not competitive, you shouldn't exist. But I think there's only maybe one case of that currently in the NHL. I'd be the Ottawa Senators. And maybe that's even still for me saying that a bit harsh, but I just think I don't like that opinion because a lot of these teams are maybe a few players away from being competitive into playoff contention. I mean, look at what Carolina's doing. I mean, they're not really in a playoff spot right now, but they're contending for a playoff spot every night. They're playing in a pretty harsh division. They could be. Like, like we can play this game all day, but I don't know. I, no, you're sorry, fine. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I really don't, I don't. No, you're fine, I but we have, like different, we have different opinions, which is fine, because, like, I think for me, when I look at the NHL, it's not, I think it's, how we define competitiveness. I don't look at teams like the Rangers sitting in fourth in the Metropolitan as competitive. Like I look at them as having won a few games, but if a playoff series happened, 
I would know that whoever played them, regardless of who they were, unless it was somebody lower than them somehow, would beat them. And I feel the same about the Islanders, and I feel the same about the Blue Jackets. I feel the same about almost the rest of that division besides Washington and given the chance Pittsburgh. You know, and then you can you can do that in any division. It's like there's two, one, maybe two teams. You know, the Atlantic is Tampa and Toronto and Boston. And the rest of those teams, regardless of their current record, I would not pick in a playoff series. Buffalo, yeah, they're on a nice little nine-game winning streak, but that doesn't mean anything come playoff time or come championship time. And that, to me, is where you start to divide the line between the NFL and then, like, the NBA and the NHL. Where the NFL, any team can win the Super Bowl, as evidenced by Philly last year. Philly was not a great team. They were not. And as evidenced by their record this year, they're, like, six or four and six, four and six or five and six or something like that. They're losing. They're probably not going to make the postseason. If anybody can win anything at any given moment, that shows the non-competitiveness. That shows to me everyone's at the level of competitiveness, as opposed to the opposite. We're here where you have dynastic teams in every division, which I like dynasties, by the way. I actually enjoy watching teams that are perennially good, but not at the expense of the the rest of the league. Like, we could talk about the Central Division. So oh, big you time. Hate the NBA. Oh, yeah, big time. The NBA is a joke to me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah. like it. Although I like watching, like, if a Golden State game is on, I'm not, I'm not going to turn it off because they're so fucking good. I, watch, I like watching dominance. I'll watch an Alabama game in the NCAA football, and I hate college football. But that being said, catch me watching any other football game because I don't give a fuck. Because the rest of the 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 NCAA doesn't matter because you only have Alabama and the rest of it doesn't matter because no one else can win. And that's the problem with the NHL. It's like, yes, it's competitive up to six teams. Six to eight tops. I'll give you eight. But that's it. The rest of them are just there. And that, to me, is indicative of like... Let's shirk the blame. Let's like that's this all started when they started putting, you know, an extra point in for uh, overtime losses. And that was 100 percent to make sure that every team looks way more competitive, way longer than they need to be. And that's what scares me about this. It gives us false numbers. We're like, oh, look, you know, we talked about this on Spinning the Wheels last week. I don't know how often you listen or not. But like one of the things that you can use for marketing is like if the if the Red Wings finish this year six points out of a playoff spot, anybody who knows hockey is going to be like, that's a fucking joke. They're actually way not a playoff team. But the marketing to the rest of the people who don't really pay attention to hockey or like scoreboard watchers, standings watchers, is going to be like, we were only three wins out of a playoff spot. And that's the problem, don't you think? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I, like, point format, I've always had a problem with. I think that's just a, that's kind of a joke. But... I, I still think that most of these teams on a nightly basis can win and are good enough to be in the playoffs. I mean, the Detroit Wings oh, could God, be I a playoff not. team this year. Like they, they, they could be because of the way yeah, that they yeah. are currently playing. Like we didn't think Buffalo would be leading the Atlantic division. To be no, that's year. true. Yeah, that's and, and Buffalo, I thought was like way worse condition. Maybe that's Detroit something we should address really quick. Like one of the, let's address that's like perspective. Let, okay. I know we don't standings watch typically, but this is sort of like a measuring standpoint, a measuring stick. Yeah, Thanksgiving yeah, is sort of a measuring here, stick yeah. point to talk about this because this that coaching discussion leads into this conversation of competitiveness because I have a problem with saying like Buffalo's competitive because like they're not like yes, they had they have a good run. Again, nine wins, but I mean, how many times every year we see some team, Anaheim goes on like a 25-game winning streak or something stupid like that. Detroit had that one uh, home unbeaten streak in 2012 or something like that. Like, this happens every year. Some team goes on a streak. It doesn't mean they're really relevant to me. Like, that's – it's cool. I like watching it. That, that doesn't dissuade me from watching it. But, like, I don't think Buffalo is really a competitor. Do you? 
I mean, it's hard to say, but generally, if you're in the mm-hmm. playoff hunt now, you're going to be in the playoffs. That's just that's just kind of the omen. Like, if you are in the division or in the playoff points at this time of the year, there is like a seventy percent chance you will make the playoffs. Yeah, it's like no, it's accurate. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's pretty high. So I mean, they're they're beating a team like. I mean, all the teams in the Atlantic Division that are in the top three have 16 wins, and they're basically separated by yeah, 34, 33, like, like 32. a point, right? And, yeah. And do I think Toronto's a better team? If Bu- Toronto and Buffalo play right yeah, now, who sweet. do I think would win? Toronto. If Tampa and Buffalo and Tampa and Buffalo play right now, Tampa would win that. Because instinctually, we think of Buffalo not being good, but we're looking at their points right now and being like, they're the best in the division because they won nine games in a row, which... And a lot of those games that they've played, one, they won in overtime, certifying your point. Two, they're probably playing the weaker teams in the division because most of the teams in the Eastern Conference are just bad. They're not great. Doesn't mean they're not competitive. They're just not great against those teams. Let's let's uh, uh, real quick map that out. They would play Montreal, I think. Yep, they would play Montreal right now in the first round with the home ice advantage. Yeah, I think they, I think they probably Montreal. beat Montreal. And that, but see, and now we're getting into. Is that is that an indictment on oh Buffalo's so good they would win a playoff series? No, that's an indictment on Montreal so bad that they would lose a playoff series to be like they their roster's constructed terribly because there's not enough talent. No, I I don't even think it's that easy. I just think when you look at well, part of it's the roster too, but I don't think Montreal has enough experience to beat Buffalo's team because Buffalo has some some veteran players. I mean, if Montreal still had Max Pacioretty and some of the other players, but the only the only thing that I'm going to give Montreal right now is they still have Carey Price. It's true. If you have Carey Price, you have a chance. Right there. I think that would be a six-game series of Buffalo winning. I mean, like, okay, but here's the thing. Probably. But six-game series, that's a Okay, but here's series. the question. Based is on the standings, not? are the Islanders better than the Bruins? And I'm looking at the wild card standings. Obviously, yeah, because of point <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I don't know if you're sarcastic or not right now. I don't think the Islanders are even competitive with Boston. I think that would be a four-game series in favor of Boston. Because Why? Boston's they're, they're built better. They have probably the third best line in hockey, and the Islanders, I can't name two players on them. Yeah, third best line. So that's one out of four lines. They're going to roll, and they're going to play that one no, line gonna 100% They're going to play probably a full win. period. It's not how it works. They're going to play probably a full period's worth of ice time, score three goals, and win three to one. Yeah, you know who has one of the best lines in hockey? Yep. And then probably the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid. Yet the whole first part of this episode, we talked about how shit they are. Yeah. I don't know. Boston, I'm willing to give the credit to because they have depth behind that. Define depth. Tell me the depth. I can't let's, offhand. Let's hear the depth. That's not. That's I want to hear fair. that depth exactly because they don't have any. Because they don't okay, have. Well, any. then they have a good a goalie. Point. I trust in the, especially in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Tukarask? His numbers are really mm-hmm. subpar. In the I would last trust Tuka over anybody in Edmonton. I'm, you, I'm just like I, I could keep going like this. I'm just doing this on purpose to you because it's just like, like yeah, you just hear the name and you think they're good, but Boston is not. No, a but good I, if I. And I and I think the and I think the Islanders would beat Boston. They they are a better team. 
I, I haven't seen any Islanders games this year then. I guess maybe I'm just misinterpreting it then. I mean, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong, but I just, for me, from what I've seen from Boston this year, I think they're misplaced right now. And I think that they're probably going to end up with the number two seed in the Metro, two or three, because I don't see two teams better than them. Boston's or, I'm sorry, they're, they're going to end up with the wild card then, the number one wild card. I literally looked at the wrong slot, my bad. Because I have well, I have <laughs> so it sorted by wild card, so it, it moves everything. Yeah. So I'm yeah, literally looking you. at them lined up. I think they're going to end up with the number one wild card. Because look at that record, 13-6-4. In, in, the, in the Metro, with that, record. with 30 points, you're, they're the number one seed in the Metro if they were in the Metro. So they would be infinitely yeah. better, but the stupid points... And, uh, anyways... Jump over to the West because East is East is a fucking clusterfuck. Like let's let's not mince words, right? Okay, best team in the in the East right now, points wise, is Buffalo, Tampa, Toronto, Boston. Those are the top four: 34, 33, 32, 30. I'm sorry, the best Atlantic. team in the East. East, best team in the East. But then after that, the drop off is at the bottom. There is there's a ten point difference. Florida has twenty. This is not there's this, the East. One of the things I love slash hate about it is the fact that you like you can be Florida and you can like go on a five game streak and all of a sudden now you're in second. Like it's just that simple. Uh go but go over to the West. The West is I think the West is a lot more of a cluster than I originally. But the West to me has a little more disparity where it's a little easier to uh diagnose. Like to, to make our, you know, decisions on like what we think is actually a good team out west. Nashville obviously is a great team. Colorado and San Jose. Yeah, no, Nashville's very quiet with how great they are. Like, they are super awesome. And I, if I wasn't actively seeking Nashville games, which I've seen, I think, three or four this year, they they do not get discussed in the media. They do not make mistakes. They don't fuck up. They don't have, like, it's, they're just so well built. And that's the, that's a team I like 100%. And I, Mm -hmm. it genuinely scares me because, I don't want to see another situation where a Winnipeg comes in and stomps a mud hole in them, and I feel bad for them. Like, cause they, they, Nashville right now has a team that is built like, uh, make a cross sport reference. They're made. They're built like the early '90s Bills, where they could get to the championship four times in a row and never win it. Like that's how good that team is, and they're never gonna like. It scares me that they may never get a ring on the cup. It doesn't when you don't have the one piece you need to win it. Goalie or they score? Just don't have it. Score. Okay. Renee's having a hell of a year. I mean, every team generally has a goalie in these situations. The goalie is not the factor, no. I think, in most of these teams. Yeah. It's the scoring. Yeah. yeah well, they do have a plus 20 goal differential. Because third highest in the league. Because, I mean, if you think about yeah. all these NHL teams, right? The one defining piece is generally an offensive well, piece for most of these teams. It's the one guy. That turns Speaking it on of turning carries. it on and carrying, I want you to talk a little bit about Colorado because I imagine you've been paying a little bit closer attention to them than I have. They have the best, most productive line in hockey <sighs> right now. I, I think for me, Nate McKinnon is just the guy. Like he's he's always been that unsung guy because he's got to live in the, the the shadow of every other person. Sidney Crosby, you know, his best buddy, and <laughs> you know I the did. Tim Hortons commercials. It's killing me, but um. Yeah, I just think that – am I surprised that Colorado is doing as well as they are? Yes, because I feel like that team was two years ago literally trading Matt Duchesne in the bottom of the league, and then all of a sudden since that trade, they've been lighting the world on fire. And I just kind of don't understand it because I think 
Gabe Landeskog is one of the most overrated players in the NHL. And I mean, Ratnan, I, I, I don't know much about him, but at the same point, he's just putting up points and numbers out of nowhere. And I don't understand it. It's like a lot of these guys, when they, they come into the league, there's some reputation. Like, yeah, like, you know, like when Lenny got picked second, I was like, he's going to be a point producer, you know, or, you know, Austin Matthews, when he came in, you're like, he's probably going to put up some points and expect him to put up 40 goals because he's in no, but he, he, there's a clout there. Like you, you knew what you were getting into. A lot of these guys on this team, I have no <laughs> fucking clue. But but yet here they are being, I mean, Nate McKinnon is the best I could do because it's like, that's the one guy I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. But he's elevating the pieces around him. And I, and I generally appreciate when I see highlight goals from that line, I'm generally like, that was a nice goal. You get a solid clap out of me. And it takes a lot to impress me because there's seen so much hockey that it just like, you know, most of these people, they see a goal and they're like, holy crap. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's men's league for me. Like, whatever. It is what it is. But their level of play has been outstanding this year. It's been fun to watch. The same thing with, like, you know, San Jose in some routes. Like, this year, there's, when they made all those moves in the offseason, I was kind of like, I'm going to make a concerted effort this year. Just kind of pay attention to this team a little bit more. And then Eric Carlson's finally starting to come around now. I think he's got six points in his last, like, four games or something like that. I mean, Joe Pavelski is perennially always going to score goals. That's a thing. And then Patrick, you're not Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Evander Kane, too many Canes, man. Evander Mm -hmm. Kane has been there. So, I mean, a lot of these teams are just tokenly. The one thing I think I'd be surprised with is Calgary. Uh, Real quick, I want to address the random thing. 38 points, 23 games. Love him. Love watching him so fast. Anyways, Calgary. Yes. Calgary surprised me because... Plus seven goal differential on a team that I, 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 I shit on them in the in the preseason preview. Like I didn't expect this. Now, again, now since we're at the quarter poll, I don't want to sit here and break down each team because we don't have that kind of time. But the question I'll just ask going down this list is Calgary a playoff team? I don't think so either. Probably not, especially with Winnipeg nipping at the heels of those teams I, right there. And I think Winnipeg is is going to be one of those teams. Generally, if they get their away record figured out, they'll be just fine. Because <laughs> their, their home record is pretty lopsided right now. Exactly five hundred. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Winnipeg. I think, uh, I think Winnipeg. If you gave me the choice, Winnipeg or Calgary, in any year from two thousand seventeen onward for the next five years, I'm going to take Winnipeg. They have probably what the fourth best goalie in the league. And probably the fourth or fifth best player in the league, so I'm taking that over Calgary all day, every day. Yeah, Goudreau's great, and they have some bizarrely good goaltending right now. But I don't think it can hold up, and I especially don't think Anaheim can hold up either. I, I don't think either of those teams going to hold up under the scrutiny of a long season. I think Vegas has a shot of moving in there. I think Dallas, if you know, once they get uh, uh, what's his name, Gol- is it Goligoski? Yeah, once they get Goligoski back, because I Goligoski. think he's still injured. Uh. Or at least he's recovered from his injury. Once he's fully back and good, that team. Again, I say that knowing that they need a goalie, but who knows what happens at the trade deadline? I think that team's just too offensively good. Yeah, he's ben not Bishop terrible. Terrible. I, I think they. No, he's not Ben Bishop of Stanley no, Cup. I think they need a legitimate Tampa goalie. Ben Bishop, but Vegas definitely can make a push. Chicago, you know, who knows if this 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 new coach can turn them around, and. <clears throat> well, Vancouver. no, but and Edmonton is <laughs> literally always right there. You know, we 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 say Edmonton is built to terribly, but like 
they're there. I mean, they they're always right there. I mean, they're they're one win out of yeah. a wild card playoff spot right now. They flirt with that line. Can, They've been know, doing it all season. Score two goals a game for a month, and all of a sudden they're in second place. He's just that good. So I mean, I can't I can't discredit any team that has the best player in the game. I just can't. I physically cannot. It's it's unfair and it's wrong on my hockey morals, whatever they may be. Uh, let's let's get out of this standings review because, like I said, I don't I don't want to sit here and break down every team. But I do want to talk about this this the story of like the age of heartlessness because this is something that this is something that is like if you had it's like it's like someone else heard the collection of my thoughts over the last ten years and like put it into one article because this is something that actually genuinely concerns me about the NHL you know and I'll just use the great the great first line a new age of heartlessness is almost upon the nhl just wait not long now like climate change it's coming i 100 percent agree with that you know it all started at least philosophically with the nhl's decision to not to allow its players to go to the 2016 winter olympics in south korea that told you something and, and I, I i it's perfect no discussion, no sense of trying to put a larger sense of the game first or loyalty to the players ahead of business. Players were upset. There was a sense this was a change in the way the league had been doing business. Okay. Ever since there was a salary cap and ever since a, a, a labor stoppage became a regular threat, not just like, a, oh, my God, I can't believe they actually stopped, but, like, it's probably going to happen again in two years. That's that. Hmm. This okay. This is like a double-sided story. I'm struggling with my words because it's like I'm so excited when I read this article. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to say, but I have to like choose my words wisely because I don't want to sit here and say the NHL shouldn't be heartless because that's something that I've been championing. But also, they shouldn't be loyal because that's something I've been. Like, it's it's such a this is such a fragile, delicate thing because the old world of sports is you draft a guy, you sign him, you keep him forever, right? That's, that's what we grew up knowing. Nick Lisham, Steve Eiserman, all of them were Red Wings forever. Sergey Fedorov leaves and they're never going to fucking retire his number. End of story. You know, but on the other hand, with the business world of today and with the way that this league is structured, with this salary cap, teams, and with the fact that this league doesn't make any money in comparison to the other leagues and has no viewership, they have to be cutthroat. But where's the line? And that's what, I, that's what I'll ask you to just open the door to get your thoughts on this article. I mean, the player movement thing is not always the teams. Players want more money. They want to be paid what they want to pay. I mean, look at a guy like Milan Lucic getting paid a crispy amount of money to be pretty much relevant. So, I mean, th that point kind of is hard for me to, to swallow sometimes because a lot of teams will be like, you know, the arbitration system in general is where I think I have a big problem with a lot of that because, you know, you'll get a guy that for one year does 80% more value than his contract and yet he's going to be making $7 million. Like, look at a guy like Nylander, okay? He's played two years in the league. He's supposed to come out and hold out for $7 million yet he's only played two years in the league? I don't understand that at all. I think I have a very big problem with that sentiment. But the NHL is a business and I think if you know, teams want to not pay people, that's the right to do so. But then again, you lose talent. And I think that's the natural evolution of the sport where the better you are, the more money you're probably going to make on an open market. And that's a thing for a reason. But I, I think being loyal is a double-edged sword because, for instance, you look at the loyalty of some teams in this area 
they're loyal for way too long and it screws them out of probably being as good as they should be right now because they they want to win when they shouldn't and they want to hang on to players that don't deserve it and want to give money where it's where it just shouldn't be at all like a guy like applicator should not be making four million dollars a year because he is not a skilled hockey player when you put him next to the talent of the league just using a local reference because that's asinine and 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 I will beat that to a dead horse because that just doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, that's like giving me $7 million. Like, I don't deserve that. Like, that's just not, I know my, I know my skill rank. I'm not a $7 million hockey player, but he's, he's going to be a $4 million hockey player. I wouldn't put that past. And and the example they give in the article is perfect because this is something that has plagued the league since the salary cap showed up because pre-salary cap loyalty was everything in this league. But, you know, when teams, it took teams a long time. 2012 was when this article, again, perfectly points this out. Seven years post a lockout, post salary cap put in, and teams still hadn't adjusted it. Look at the Los Angeles Kings. It was with the Kings and their difficult situation with Mike Richards that the issue of how much loyalty was owed to a team stalwart first really came into vivid focus. Mike Richards, a key part of LA's championship team in 2012, was in the middle of a 12-year, $69 million contract when his production began to decline sharply. After the Kings won again in 2014, Richards Richards was not showing any signs of bouncing back, and a compliance buyout then would have helped the Kings out with their salary cap issues. But GM Dean Lombardi decided against it because he thought he owed Richards. Six months later, Richards was on waivers. Dean Lombardi was quoted as saying, if you're going to expect loyalty from your players, then you at times have to show loyalty to them. Under the circumstances with what he had done for us, I thought he deserved a chance to get back to where he knows he's capable of. Six months after that quote, the Kings terminated Richard's contract for a material breach, and eventually a settlement was reached with the veteran center and the league on his impact on LA's salary cap. The Kings, now in sharp decline as a team, keep you know they're sitting in last place are still paying mike richards so mike richards while an extreme case because of his off-ice issues is the poster child for being too nice to a veteran and how much it can cost the team over time particularly under the salary cap system this is the perfect example of this like this is like these players want to get paid and i respect that to some degree you know i've never played for money but i know that if i was giving up my body for a certain amount of money i would want to never have to worry about money ever again so I get that and I respect that. But also Mike Richards, but also Jonathan Taves, but also, you know, who knows if McDavid's going to be able to st- sustain this level of performance through that ridiculous contract, you know? No, but that's the risk you take when you sign a high talent. Because if you're not going to sign him, somebody else is going to sign him. And then what are you going to play that risk? Well, maybe he'll get hurt in a year, so we're not going to sign him. That's you should I be agree. fired if I'm you not, make I'm, that kind of decision. And that's, that's where it come, becomes a double-edged sword. It's like you have to keep these players it's like what what is it going to take for a player to not ask for a decade contract it's not because they want to be in one place because a lot of these people have families they don't want to be constantly moving every year they don't want to buy a new house every 6 months i understand that cuz normal people don't have those problems normal people live in a city for X amount of years, unless their job takes them somewhere else, but their job generally doesn't take them somewhere else. It's true, every two to three it's true. years. True, although if you're making millions of dollars, I don't know. I think I might tolerate it, depending on if I have kids or not. I think that's the biggest factor for me. If I'm young and I don't have kids and I'm going to get paid millions more to move somewhere else, I'd probably do it. I mean, say here's the scenario that I think of. Right, I've been in the NHL three years. I did my entry level deal. 
I got drafted by a team like, let's say, Arizona. And I'm from Toronto. And Toronto's like, knock, knock. Hey, we're going to give you $10 million over 12 years. Come play mm-hmm. hockey for us. Where do I sign? Because that's where I'm from. I'm going to want to be there. I want to stay there. Like any, any, any good hockey market that's going to throw you $7 million plus for seven to eight years is like, is like, for me, I think as a player, that's just like, they believe in you. They want you here. They think highly of you. And that's, that's, that's what you want. You don't want to have to re up like on a new team every two years. That means I got to get to know 23 other new people plus coaching staff and a new building. Maybe play in a whole new market that I'm not familiar with. Play in another place that maybe I don't want to play just because they're going to throw me some money. All right, I'll throw another example. Chicago, when Patrick Kane, the first pick of the 2007 draft, finished his entry-level contract, he received a five-year, $31.5 million deal that included a $6.3 million cap hit. At the time, the salary cap was at $59.4 million, so Kane's deal was worth about 11% of Chicago's payroll. That figure fit nicely as the Hawks won cups in 10, 13, and 15. Then, a new Kane deal worth $10.5 million annually kicked in, as did Jonathan Tay's new deal, and ever since, the Hawks have been challenged to ice a contending team. Chicago is desperately trying to avoid a rebuild, but the reality is they've hung on to their core consisting of Kane, Tay's, Keith, and Seabrook for too long. Keith and Seabrook, in particular, can't do what they once could, but they're on long-term deals with no moves. Maybe it was that loyalty that kept them around. The result is that Chicago is tight on the cap at the same time the team is sitting outside the playoff picture, playoff picture at Thanksgiving after missing the playoffs last year. Players are now taking bigger chunks of cap room right out of entry level. Connor McDavid's contract, for example, which comes in with an annual cap hit of $12.5 million, will cost Edmonton 16% of its maximum payroll this season. <clears throat> Next year, the betting is that both Matthews and Line A will surpass McDavid's salary. So here's the issue. We have players who have completely valid concerns that you've expressed. They don't want to move a whole lot. They may want to set up a family, set up a life. Perfect. I don't disagree with you at all. But it's coming at a demand of a higher and higher portion of their team salary cap. It's not that they're demanding higher money. It's that they're demanding a higher percent. So if if, if McDavid was to ask for 11%. Yeah, because more money is more percent. That's how that works. More annual more annual money if you have a hundred dollars and they want fifty of it, that's that's still a percentage. It's so relevant that, because their 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 demands are going up higher than the payrolls or than the salary cap's going up. That's what I'm trying to describe. So it's like salary cap was at fifty nine, it got to seventy five, but then their demands went from seven to ten, which is doesn't correlate. Like it, it, instead of moving up an even percentage, it moved up faster. Yeah, but the GMs that's don't true. have to and do it. That's where we have the loyalty issue. So we're back to the same issue, which is like why I find this fascinating because it's happening all across the league. So you're going to tell me as a GM, you had a guy that just won you three Stanley Cups is probably the best player in the league and you're going to not sign him because uh, he wants a little bit more than, uh, depends than on the we player. want to give him. And then open market, he's going to go out and get $13 million. Patrick Kane, and you're gonna sign if, if it's Patrick Kane, I just won three Stanley Cups. And I know that, uh, man, that's that's. He's not even on the. He's not even yeah, over twenty seven yet. Right. Man, that's up. tough. That's a dumb. If you made that decision to not resign, probably him, true. I mean, you should be fired. That's the problem. Every person you're bringing up in those scenarios is one of the Keith top Seabrook ten players in the NHL. Keith and Seabrook, except for Mike Richards. <laughs> I mean, Keith was a top. 
15 defensemen in the NHL. The time and the time of his deal, he was the Norris Trophy winning defenseman of the league. Every one of those situations where you're signing that player, they were preferably. I'm just wondering if it's going to go like the MLB, where it's like you get to a certain point with these contracts burning people so often and so so obviously at a certain point, you know, at between age 31 and 35 is usually where it starts to burn you that you'll start to see a regression where it's like, you know, I don't know how much you know about the last MLB offseason uh, last year going into this season, but there was almost no signings. And you, Darvish, went unsigned forever despite being a top-tier talent because teams didn't want to back up the brinks because they got burned so often. You think of guys like Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez who got to the end of their contracts. They were just completely worthless. And that can start to happen in with, with players who are exemplary like – Kane, Taze, Keith, I don't disagree with you. And I, you know, once you pointed out at their age and their relevance, uh, you saw me hesitate immediately. But you get to a certain point and you can't keep that anymore. So it's like, do you maintain loyalty and respecting a, a former championship beyond their usefulness? I think in some situations you might have to because you're locked in. In the NHL, the way the contract structures are, you're just locked in. And then the no movement clause can be waived, so it's not like they are permanent. They can waive them if if they wish. So I mean, they have to sign a waiver to waive them, and that's what it is. But I, I think there needs to be a change in the way. I've always said this: there needs to be a change in the way there is business done with contracts because we have too many people. I mean, they made a whole rule about that. Remember, like the Rick DiPietro rule, like the the Lolongo rule, yeah. the the Franzen rule, like. They made a rule because of that, but I think they still need to add and, and tweak that. Do I think if a team wants to go out and sign a guy for 10 years for $10 million, should they be allowed to do that? Yeah. Because that's their own grave. That's their own decision. That's on them. If they want to ruin their team to the point they can't field the team because of that one guy, then they got to suffer for it. That's just that's the competitiveness of sports. When you're making a decision... If it's going to bite you in the ass, you got to deal with it. And, and I think in the NHL, that's harshly more realized than a lot of these other sports because one, salary cap is lower than a lot of these other teams or a lot of other sports. And two, I mean, you could see it right now with the Penguins decline. Like, I mean, yeah, they have what, 20% of their cap invested in Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby? Or three, and then and Latang. So four, yeah. Kessel? Yeah. <clears throat> and Latang. So like four. Yeah, and like 20% of the roster. And yeah. They won two back to back Stanley Cups, but are you no, not going to pay Sidney Crosby? Now, are you not going? Are you not going to pay Malkin? Malkin could give no, but here's I'll, I'll, I'll give game. you another example point on the article. Me? The Maple Leafs could end up having to ante up twenty eight percent of their payroll to Matthews and Marner, <clears throat> which will restrict their ability to sign the likes of Gardner, okay. Kapanen, and after last season, the Leafs had to let go veterans like Bozak, okay. Van Riemsdyk, Martin, and Komarov go to reduce payroll pressure, and they still haven't been able to come to terms with wing, with winger William Nylander. So it's like you're... Yeah, that's the NH. That's the sport. That is what it is. You're not, you can't sign everybody. That is not how it works. Just because you draft them, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. Like, that is the fundamental... That is, that is the sport. You could play your three years, and then you can go somewhere else. Like, you don't have to be tied to that. And that's what Nylander's doing, and I respect it because that's he thinks he's valued at some point. But I also respect the, the Leafs going, we're not going to just throw money at you, so you can deal with it because they know they have his rights. There's always a working order of these things. And that situation, if they don't sign Nylander and he goes and he does better and he goes somewhere, he scores a lot of goals, okay, 
you deal with that. But I'll take Austin Matthews over that anyway. But day. I tell you it's what, the long term effect of that's going to be is it's going to be. It'll continue to a point where eventually talents that aren't necessarily great are being overpaid. And then eventually, absolutely. I mean, you but then what the happens NFL is already. there's a purge. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, every team is 24 years old. And you have guys who, you know, if, like, and there's the problem. If you, if, if you start taking guys like Nylander, who, yes, probably a $5 million a year player, maybe five to seven, maybe. But if he would just accept four, you know, by the time he's 32, he might still be able to make four for the next five years after that. As opposed to what happens is you start seeing guys just disappear because nobody wants to give them the money they ask for. Then they start asking for less, and then they're like, well, you haven't played in a year, so we're not going to pay you. And then it's like, well, then you're taking the veterans minimum. Right. That's and the then I'll just I'll quote the end of the article because we have to move on. We've taken so long on the subject. But many teams will soon be in the same boat. Staying loyal is going to come at a much greater price. And I'm saying that to say that as a warning. If, if any team out there, any fan of any team has a favorite player who's young and up and coming and he's doing great in his first or second year, just know that this league is getting more and more heartless, in my opinion. And that can... It's just never going to be like it was, I don't think. You're never going to see teams with cores for 15 years. Not like you used to. I, I just don't think so. And I, I don't know if you disagree with that or not. If we want one more chance to talk on the subject before we move on. I mean, I just... It's not that I necessarily disagree, but I think the nature of business sports, it has to be that way. Just because of how competitive generally everything Absolutely. is because if you don't sign that guy he's going to go somewhere else and then you take the risk of is he going to burn us or not but that's sports in my opinion that's always been sports like do, like if Michael Jordan came out of retirement and the Bulls didn't want to sign him damn right he's going to go somewhere and play basketball like it doesn't matter that guy's going to play somewhere is he going to play for your team or not I will that's say my thoughts on it are stay loyal to the logo not the player or be ready to start wearing different jerseys, like uh, Mike Papchick over on the road show <clears throat> has like fifteen different. I uh, uh, forget who the quarterback is. There was a quarterback who played for Mizzou, who's just been traded around. I think he's the starter now in Tennessee when Mariota's out. He's the backup from Mar- uh, Mariota. I can't remember his name, but nope, that's in. Uh, he's in Tampa. Uh, this guy played for Mizzou. I can't remember his name, but it'll come to me, and then I'll go. Oh, him. But anyways, <clears throat> he has like four or five different jerseys because he likes that player. So you have to just stay loyal to either a player or a logo or, yeah, a player or a jersey. You can't do both because it's not going to happen a whole lot. Uh, let's move into our last topic because it's going to be a quick one, and then we can kind of wrap things up because I did not expect us to talk for an hour. Uh, the discussion on the Penguins, uh, because we talked about it a little bit, uh, would have been a good segue if I had picked it up, but I didn't. Uh, this, The Penguins are having a problem. Question asked perfectly, what's happened to the Penguins? What changed from last year to make them look so bad this year? Uh, answer, we know nothing's wrong with the big three forwards. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Phil Kessel have all been strong, but there are clearly some issues right now team-wide. So what exactly has brought the first back-to-back Stanley Cup winners of this era all the way down to 26th in the league after losing eight of their past 10 games at the time of this writing? And for the most part, it's bad defensive play. They give a graph here. Again, you can find this article on Sportsnet with a great example of year-over-year comparison. Uh it's worth noting that scoring chances have gone up each of the past three seasons around the league, but since their first year with the Stanley Cup, the Penguins have been progressively getting worse defensively at a greater rate than the league has seen offense grow. In 15-16, they were a top-five defensive team in the league, dropped to average the next season, just scored their way out of trouble all the time. Last season, they fell a bit more, and this season, they've fallen off a cliff. 
The players have been most guilty of allowing high danger chances in pre-shot movement while they're on the ice so far are Alexiak, Alexiak, Schultz, Kessel, Sheehan, of course Sheehan, and Derek Broussard. So those are the guys who need to step up, though I wouldn't blame Kessel as much as since he's a winger and Schultz has barely played. The crazy thing is outside of Hornquist, Latang, Crosby, and oddly Chad Ruedel, no one on the Penguins has good defensive numbers. Considering Tanner Pearson's last bit on it, and then I'll get your opinion on this. Considering Tanner Pearson's reputation as a two-way player, clearly the Penguins hope he can add a stabilizing presence. They traded for him, by the way, if anybody doesn't know. Uh, but taking constant risks probably isn't the smart choice for a team whose defensive core is made up of Chris Letang, Brian Dumoulin, and a who's who of third-pairing players or worse. That is concerning if you're a Pittsburgh fan. When you stand on this, you've probably seen more games of theirs this year than I when Jack Johnson is on your defensive core, your defensive core is not going to be very good. I'm just going to put that one out there, number one. I think they would be far worse if they didn't have met Martin and Nett. Just being honest right there, that's number two. Murray. Um, defensively, yeah, I meant Murray, sorry. Uh, defensively, they're just not very good. And they've never been great. I think Latang has really held down the bulk of a lot of their minutes and a lot of their defensive play over the last five to six years. He's kind of like been that gloss over effect where you're like man they have a great defensive core it's like no they just have they just have the tang he's really the guy and i think he's getting older he's falling off a little bit some injuries now you notice your defense is not as good <laughs> i think it just it's just point blank they're just not a very good defensive core but i mean that kind of happens when you have the roster that you do and the way it's built it's very front heavy on the offensive side of the puck so here's the important question can they can they get out of this I think they're going to have to make some moves if they do. I, I, I think if they want to be in contention, they're probably going to have to get a defenseman. But that's weird because, I mean, they don't, I mean, their defensive core when they won the Stanley Cup was like Daly. Oh, yeah, Daly. Um, Dumoulin. Dumoulin. Schultz. <laughs> I mean, it's not far off from what they have now, which is kind of scary. Yeah. Like Alimata. Like, I mean,. I always thought Ali Mata was a good defenseman. And then, yeah, the last two years, you're kind of like, huh, I guess not. I don't know. It just that's They're, they're one of those weird teams that I, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, the Penguins suck now. This is great. I think that's bad for the league that Pittsburgh is not doing well. So I, I would like to see them maybe pull it out and be a little bit better. But I think you kind of have to, on a nightly basis, you're giving any team with City Crosby a chance, but he can't do everything, and that's unrealistic. So, yeah, I think... Like defense, they got to go out and maybe make a piece or two happen. And if that's the case, when they made the Haglin trade, I for sure thought they were going to be trading for a defenseman, but I don't think you're going to get that out of it. The Tanner Pearson move, I think, is okay, but they're trading a two way forward for a two way forward. So it's like. Yeah. Final question on the topic Is this the decline of Pittsburgh? I think it's a little early. A little early. Think about two more years coming this year? I would say after this year, we'll see what they do. If they start slacking a little bit, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I'd be probably surprised. At least as a wild card. Yeah, they'll probably make at least a wild card this year. Probably make a probably a two round run if I had to guess, just based yeah. on experience. Uh, let's wrap this up by just uh, discussing what you got to witness because I didn't, and I kind of want to hear your version of the story. Uh, Line A having a great night the other night. Yeah, he had a five goal night, and that was the first time in eight years that a Winnipeg Jet forward had a five goal night, and he's the fifty seventh player in NHL history to have a five goal night. That is a lower number than I expected, and seventeenth by a visiting player. <laughs> Whoa, that's nice. 
What, what, what kind of goals were they? Are they? Are we talking all skill? What's the balance on this? I mean, he's a pure score. He's a pure goal scorer. So a lot of them were were just nice goals. I mean, he had a few shot ones. They were pretty nice. I, I just like right place, right time. You could tell he was just having a night. Like anytime Marcus Scheifele was on the ice with him, you could tell he was just looking to get him the puck because you just, you just knew things were going to happen for him last night. Who were they playing? And, uh, St. Louis. Okay. Eight to four, by the way. Poor St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, at one point it was six to nothing, I think, or six to one. Oof. So yeah, it was a pretty lopsided game. I, I just, you have a guy like that who just, I can't think of anybody else in the league right now that could take over a game like that. Maybe McDavid, Crosby, and Patrick Klein is just one of those guys. He has a game. I feel like he has a hat trick like twice or three times a month almost. Mm-hmm. Like he's just one of those guys that scored goals, and I have a I have a really fun time watching him play hockey. Just being straight honest with you, and he's a right-handed shot, so it makes me feel good for all the righties out there, <laughs> us minorities. Yeah. Oh, you're a righty. Yes. I always forget that. Oh man, that's right. Yeah, you're one of the eight that I know. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but yeah, it's 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 he's in that category now. He's because he he was streaky last year. There was times where he was a little bit invisible at moments, not often. But it was there. Now I think it's safe to say you're not the first person who's mentioned him in the regular top three category, and I think he belongs in that conversation. Although there is six top three players, he's in that conversation. Well, it's like top five quarterbacks in the, in the NFL. There's ten of them. You know, yep. <laughs> it's the same thing. It depends on who you talk to. Yeah, because you know if you talk to a guy who lives out west, he's gonna be like, oh, McKinnon and McDavid are the best in the league. Obviously, talk to a guy out east, he's gonna be like Crosby, and you know maybe he'll say Malkin or Ovechkin. You know, and then you talk to a guy in the middle, he's going to say all four of those, plus he's going to say line A. Like, yeah, he's in that conversation 100%. And I want, I, I, I love that he's so even-tempered about it, too. He's just a nice guy. Uh, anything else you want to say before I wrap this up? No, I think we dove in this one. Yeah, we did. Uh, full First episode we've had in a long time, over an hour. Uh, if you guys like the content, I ask, as I do every week, uh, Find us. You found us by searching SRD Hockey. Please tell more people about that. Uh, both us and uh, Spinning the Wheels, our sister show, are under that SRD Hockey banner on iTunes, uh, TuneIn, Podbean, Stitcher, Facebook, Spotify. We're kind of everywhere. Uh, you can follow the brand on Twitter. Uh, it's at Sports Radio DET. Our sister show is at STW underscore SRD. I'm on Twitter occasionally tweeting random musings at JM Pinkham. Steve is on Twitter at Franchise GFX. Check out our website, please, at sportsreadedetroit.com. Thank you, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. This has been an SRD production.